right, the first thing I told Jeremy this morning, I would give him credit. The last time I was up here, I got a three-day notice. This time, I at least got about a three-week notice. Uh, so when Jeremy came to me and asked me if I wanted to um, preach this morning, I told him it really wasn't up to me, but if God wanted me to, then yeah, I was game that you know, no, we can do nothing by ourselves. It's through him that we do everything. Um, so the good news is that we might, if it's up to me, we'll be sitting at the cafe at 1145. <laughs> <laughs> but then I might get hired, so I don't want to do that. Um, <clears throat> but really, the, you know, the first thing when he said that is, well, yeah, this will be great, you know. You sort of want to give your testimony to people. Let them know where you stand in your walk. Let them know what you've been through and let them know what God's done in your life. And then my second thought was, well, no, that's what you want to do. Don't be in control. Sit back and God will show you what to do. Well, then he says, all right, the verses that I want, you know, here's where we're going to be at in the 412. This is about where we'll be is 1 John 2, 1 through 11. So I went home and I read those verses and I said, Okay, I get it. It was you telling me that I was supposed to give my, sort of give my testimony and, you know, open up. Because God puts us in places at different times in our lives. And, you know, often people say, oh, if I could go back and do these things different, I would. Well, I wouldn't. God, if you believe that he's in control of your life, that he puts you on the path that he wants you on, you can't go back and change anything because you won't end up where you are today. And I think today is exactly where I'm supposed to be. I think that not only up here today, but in my walk and just where God's working in my life. Um, yeah, he come to me this morning. He said, all right, we're going to do two songs, then the announcement, then one song. And all I could think was, please let that third song be just as I am. And they're singing all six verses. So this morning, like I say, our, uh, our verses come from 1 John chapter 2, 1 through 11. And what I'd like to do the first time is just read through all 11 verses and then go back through them individually, or at least in different parts. It says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have said since you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. 
he does not where he he does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. So as we look at the first verses, we see it says uh, John is writing this at a point in his life when he is a very old man, or at least the very you know end of his life, and he begins with "Dear children," it's kind of in a warm, fatherly way, because he has spent most of his life in ministry. And uh, most of the readers now are likely he considered more of his spiritual children. So as he tells us here, you know, if we do sin, we have someone who speaks to the Father in our defense. You know, just think about it. As sinful as we are, and although we defy him over and over, Jesus still goes to God in our defense. And why is that? It's because he died for our sins. He is the atoning sacrifice for not only our sins, but the sins of the world. You know, Jesus had already died and risen from the grave for our sins at this point when this was written. And John is describing that he, the compassion that he has for us. You know, when I, when I looked at that and I said, you know, we have someone who speaks to the Father in our defense. Kind of the picture I got was, imagine if you're going into court. You walk up there and your defense lawyer is Jesus. However, the crazy part about it is everybody who walks up to that bench and Jesus is their lawyer, they plead guilty. But everyone who pleads guilty gets no punishment because your defense lawyer is taking the punishment for you. We don't get the punishment we deserve. He takes it and he didn't do it. He takes his, he takes his father's wrath for our sin. So now as we go into verses uh, 3, it says, We know we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. And whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. So verse 4, it says, The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. So I guess this is be kind of where my uh, testimony for the day begins. About four or five years ago, this is probably where I was at in my life. I had been raised in church. My parents took me to church. And I was walking the walk. Or I was talking the talk. I did the things I was supposed to. I went where I was supposed to. I led when I was supposed to. I preached when I was supposed to. I was saying one thing, but in my heart, I was in a different place. I was the Sunday school superintendent. I was the lay leader. I was the worship leader. I was the backup preacher, etc. I was at church every Sunday, usually early before service to make sure everything got set up and everything looked just like it was supposed to. I was talking the right talk and working in what I should be. I would, stand, I would even stand in the pulpit at times and play the part. But as it says in verse 4, I was a liar. See, I did not completely and fully trust God with my life at that point or the lives of my children and my family. 
I thought I had to be the great protector and the one to keep them safe. I was selfish and I lacked compassion for others. In fact, there was a point in my life it was so bad that when I heard the stories of kids that were diagnosed with some terminal disease or being injured in car wrecks, the first thought that entered my head was, thank God it's not my kids. That's another statistic. It's not going to be my children or my family. But see, in my mind, I had it all justified. Or at least I thought it was. Like I told you, earlier in my life when I was, like I always said, I had a drug problem. I was drugged to church on Sunday. I was drugged to church on Sunday night and drugged to church on Wednesday. But things that were going on behind the scenes that nobody knew about, it kind of set me in a place where I didn't really know what was going on. Because see, as a child, I even tried to do the things that were expected of my father. And from the time that I was around six to seven years old until I was eight to nine years old, I would, there was a neighbor who lived with his mother, took care of his old mother like any good son would do. Um, but there was a reason that he was never married and lived with his mother, as you could probably guess. See, as I went to help him, you know, cut grass or different things, I also became the victim of sexual abuse and child molestation. I never told anyone. I never told because I thought I was doing the right thing. And I also grew up Southern Baptist where it was just admitted that God let bad things happen to good people. So I was confused, not really knowing what was happening when people could see that I knew that it was wrong but what everybody could see was right. Man, besides, who would believe a kid over a grown adult? And to say that I had a vivid imagination may have even been an understatement at the time. So as I grew up, I just kind of lived with the fact that God let bad things happen to good people. I mean, I've heard it my whole life. And it was even during this time that I felt God calling me. I walked down to the altar when I was eight years old. I was saved and baptized in the church. And the other thing is, who would ever believe that something like this happens in our good Christian Bible Belt Southern towns? This is a big city sin where the devil lives. And I'll never forget when I was about 13 years old, when I was starting to deal with some of it and really getting to the point where I thought I could tell somebody, that's about the time, if y'all may remember, well, some of you won't because I feel old in here at times. <laughs> when Oprah Winfrey came out and told how she was raped when she was nine years old in her little southern town in Mississippi, and I was sitting there watching on the news that night when it broke, and my father, God-helping Christian man, but he has his opinions, his words were, 
poor Oprah, her ratings must be dropping. So this is the story she has to tell now. So needless to say, I changed my mind real quick on whether I was ready to tell anybody or not. Now I made it through high school and everything went fine, but it kind of started building up in college because when I was in high school, everybody knew who I was. They knew I was supposed to be and I knew who I was supposed to be. Well, when I moved off and went to college, nobody knew me, nobody knew who I was supposed to be and I didn't have to put on that persona anymore. I started dealing with things in a way that probably wasn't right but like I say, I was still, I had questions, you know. Does this mean I'm still a virgin? Does this mean I'm homosexual? Does this mean that I will be condemned and abolished? You know, because it says in the Bible, this sin isn't about. So those are the things that I was dealing with. I lost respect for what God said in this Bible sex should be. I lost what the sanctity of it should mean. Because after all, God didn't keep me from it. God didn't show me that. So why should I? Yet I always believed in Jesus. I always knew that he was there and I always knew that he was watching after me. I always believed he let good things happen to bad people. And it was up to us to deal with it. But I did find myself trusting him less and less. And it was toward the end of my college is where me and Kelly met. At the time she was dating somebody else, I was engaged to somebody else. And I prayed that if this engagement was supposed to be the right thing that it would work out and if it wasn't that it would end two months later it was over and she was still and Kelly was still there even after we got married I didn't tell her for a few years there were still certain ways that she could touch me and I would have a flashback and I would just I would just shut off I'd close off I couldn't explain to her she thought she was doing something wrong but to a man, to have to admit to things like that to a woman or to anybody, to me it was weakness, it was, it was shameful. And I hated a true hate for the man that did that, that he was still affecting my life 20 years later, even though I knew that he shouldn't. I hated that I didn't trust God to look after my kids because he didn't look after me. I hated that I felt I had to be the protector. And it was not until 30 years after the fact that I came to realize the truth, that I was actually surrounded by a group of men that accepted it and prayed over it until I finally felt like I, there was somebody I could trust enough to tell. Then I came to the greatest realization and found the greatest truth that I'd ever found. It was not that God allowed it to happen to me, but it was the man who chose the evil. He let Satan control his life. He made the bad choices. He let Satan take over. It was not God who caused the bad to happen to good people. 
See, my whole life, I believe that God gave us free will to choose the direction that we were going to take, that we were going to choose the paths that we were going to take. And if I had to believe that, I still had to believe in my heart that that man chose the wrong way, that he chose the wrong thing to do, that it was not God's fault. I also knew that if I held on to the hate and I let that darkness take over my life, I was no better than the man who had committed those things against me because I was allowing God to control my heart and my thoughts and that was the last thing that I hated in my life. It was about this time that I was reading through the Bible and I opened one and I said, God, I need help with this because I'm really struggling trying to find it. And you know how they say, sometimes you just open your Bible and there it is. I put the Bible down and it hit another book that was laying on the table and the pages fell open. Isaiah 41, 13. I, the Lord, your God, will take you by the right hand and say, do not be afraid, I will help you. And you know what he did. I also knew that I had to forgive that man. And I went to the altar and I prayed for his soul that it would be changed, but that my heart would be changed and I could forgive him. And it was at this point I felt a weight lifted that I've never had before. I felt freedom that I'd never had before. And if y'all thought I was sunshine now, you should have known me back then. But if we look at verses 5 and 6, it says, But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever, whoever claims to be in him must walk as Jesus did. And when I think about him hanging on the cross, his walk carrying that cross, the people who beat him, the people who put the crowns on his thorn, the people who mocked him, the man who pierced his side, at that very moment, they could have looked at Jesus and said, Lord, forgive me, and he would have. So who am I to carry around something like that and claim to be walking as Jesus did? So to, be, so to be obedient, I had to figure out, and I had to, walk, I had to forgive and walk as Jesus did. So then we come to verse 7 and 8. It says, Dear friends, I am, writing you a new, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. In Leviticus 19, verse 18, it says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And it says, Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Well, that new command, John 13, 34, it says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Love should be a unifying force, and it should be what identifies us as Christians. 
it is more than just respect and self-sacrifice. It should be selfless giving, reaching beyond our friends. It's easy to forgive and love our friends. Jesus went to his enemies. Jesus went to his persecutors. Jesus went to the places where it would make us uncomfortable. Being a Christian can be as hard or as easy as you want it to be. It's easy to sit in church every Sunday morning and claim to do what you're doing. It's hard to go out into the world and let everybody know what you're doing. Love is the key to walking in the light. We cannot grow spiritually while we hate others. So see, when I began to forgive and show compassion, to show love, I began to walk out of the darkness that I had been in, that I was letting Satan keep me in. Knowing that I had to forgive that man and pray for his soul, for God to have mercy, it was one of the hardest things for me to comprehend. Not even to do, just to comprehend that I had to do it. And I was talking about it to one of my friends who happened to be a Methodist pastor at the time, and I told him that I knew I had to, but I wasn't sure that I wanted to. And that's when he quoted Matthew 5.44. It says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It doesn't get any simpler than that when you're struggling with something. When it is one verse that, exact, that explicitly tells you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And as I've already described, when I hit my knees and started praying what I knew I had to, God started changing my heart. And what I thought I had to do became what I wanted to do. I began to feel the weight of the burden lifted. I no longer felt that Satan had control of my life. I felt a freedom that I had not felt before. I was no longer bitter. I no longer felt victimized because I had that defense attorney on my side. And I also finally realized that God didn't let bad things happen to good people. God gives good people his strength to take bad things and turn them into good, the good news of his grace and mercy if you let him use you. See, the Bible tells the true light is already shining. Jesus is the true light. As we see here in the end of verse 8. He leads us out of the darkness. And we only get to the darkness because we lead ourselves there. When we let our darkness get in the way of Jesus' light, you know what we do? We cast shadows. Shadows on our friends. Shadows on our family. Shadows on anyone around us who may be looking for just that little ray of light they need to change their heart. They may be looking for just that little bit of Jesus that they need to push them forward. And a shadow can only be cast in one way. A shadow is only cast when there's something between the light 
and the people who are behind the line. And a shadow doesn't just stay one size. You know how a shadow gets bigger? If I'd have realized it was this dark, I could have done an illustration. But the farther you get from the light, the bigger the shadow gets. If you're holding a flashlight or a lantern or a candle, if you're holding it close to the wall and you put your finger in front of it, your finger's the same size on the wall as it is on, on your hand. Now take 10 steps back, shine the flashlight on the wall, stick your finger in front of that light again, and how big is your shadow on that wall? How many more people are we throwing shadow on as we move further from the light? So our mission is not to be shadow makers. Don't be a shadow caster. You know what doesn't cast a shadow? Another light. And that same example, take a flashlight, point it at the wall, light a match, a cigarette lighter, a candle, shine the flashlight through the flame. The flame doesn't make a shadow. Light shines through light. It doesn't cast a shadow. So let's be a light that God's light shines through. Let's not stand in the way of his light and cast shadows. See, if we look in verses 9 and 10, it says, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. For years I had hated my heart for a brother, and it was casting a shadow. But when I let God take the hate and replace it with love, that darkness passed. My whole walk changed. I now had compassion for my fellow and brothers and sisters. Where once I felt relief when I heard those stories, now I had grief. I hurt with them. I ached with them. I felt the pain that they would feel, imagining if it really was my kid. But I didn't have to imagine that because it was now one of my brothers and sisters in Christ who was feeling that pain. I could now let the light of love shine so that they could see Christ's compassion in me. When we are walking in light, we can see where we're going. If you're walking in darkness without a light, you can't see what's before you. When I have to get up early in the morning to to go on some of these trips that I do for work, I try not to turn on the light. I don't want to wake up Kelly and trying to get dressed in the light is real hard. I've stumped a toe. I ran into the bed one day and woke her up anyway. But when we have the light, we can see everything that's in front of us, around us, and behind us. Hate is darkness. When we walk in darkness, we can't see where we're going. In the light, we can see the path that Christ is leading us to and the path that he's leading us down. We can't lead others to that path if they're trying to find it in our shadow. And remember, the only way you can see a shadow if your back's to the light. If you're looking at the light, you can't see what's behind you. You can't see the shadow that's falling on you nor behind you. So I guess through all this is, you know, is kind of what I'm saying. What's causing you to cast a shadow this morning? 
Is there something that's causing darkness in your life? Is there hate in your heart for someone that maybe you don't even realize? Or something that's happened in your life that you're holding on to that doesn't let you be the true person that God wants you to be? Is there somebody you're holding a grudge against for something that at the time really hurt your feelings, but if we can forgive and forget and let go, then we should let go. There's situations where it's even family members. You know, our parents, a brother, a sister, an aunt, an uncle. Not only are we casting a shadow on, on those people, we're not letting them see our true Christian self and what we should be. Maybe it's something deeper. Maybe it's something you're blaming God for. Maybe you need to rethink the, the way things have been and, and look at where God's placed you now. Let's Don't do like I did and hold on to the hurt and blame God when the whole time he still had me by the hand. He was helping me. He was leading me right where he wanted me to go. And it was my hard-headedness. It was my stubbornness. It was my pride that would not let me let go of it because I was the man. I was the one that was going to look after everybody. I was the one that was going to have the control. So this morning, I want to invite everyone or anybody that's holding on to that. Come up here and leave the shadows. Lay the shadows down. Lay the darkness down. Get up. Stand in the light. Let God take it from you. Leave it here. There's nothing that God can handle. And just remember that no matter how bad you think things might be, there's always somebody that's got it worse. You know, it, and it does not specifically say there's nothing. God will give you nothing that you can't handle. God will not give you anything he can't help you handle. <laughs> we rely on his strength and not our own because without him, we don't have any strength. We're all weak. We're all sinners. So this morning, just come on down. Be that light. Let's not cast shadows anymore. Lord, this morning, I just come to you thanking you, Lord, that you would use me as a vessel, Lord, that, that someone here would drop the shadows, that they would walk out of the darkness, Lord, that they would, they would leave whatever's been holding them back behind, Lord, and they would see that you are the true light, Lord, and it is through you that, that everything shines. Lord, we know that there are things that, that we're holding on to. We know that there's bitterness, there's hurt feelings, there's pride that, Lord, that sometimes we just have to swallow. 
because we know that as you lived your life, at any time you could have sent 10,000 angels to wipe out anything that you were facing, Lord, but you didn't. You forgave those who persecuted you. You forgave those who hated you. You forgave those, Lord, who were in that darkness and tried to put out your light. So this morning, I just pray that if there's anyone here that that needs to that leave to leave that darkness here, Lord, that, that we would take off the lampshade that may be covering our life, that we would not hide it under a bushel anymore, Lord. That we know you're calling us to be the light out here in, in this world. And it's only after we remove the darkness that we can see your light and others will see your light through us. trusting in all of us that we would be able to be the vessels that you